Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grind It Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to finish up Luke 23. Uh, Jesus... (laughs) As we talked about in the last podcast, he's uh, been standing before Pilate. He's been tried by uh, the religious leaders with their false accusations. And, and Pilate is wanting to release Jesus on three different occasions. He tells him, I find no fault with this man. He's done nothing wrong that deserves death like y'all are trying to get me to, uh, to, to uh, commit him to. He sends him over to Herod when he finds out that Jesus was a Galilean. And Herod... Uh, questions Jesus. Jesus refuses to answer any questions and he refuses to perform any miracles. So Herod has uh, enough fun with Jesus after mock, mocking him and putting the robe on him. And he sends him back over to Pilate, tells Pilate, I don't find anything wrong uh, with this man. He's done nothing worthy to be condemned of death. And so Pilate and tells the the religious leaders and the priests that he says, I, I'm, I'm going to have him flogged and I'm going to release him. But what the religious leaders have done is they convinced the crowd to get involved, and the crowd is yelling for Jesus to be crucified and and for Barabbas to be released. And so the power of persuasion prevails. Say that three times real fast. The power of per- persuasion prevails. And uh, Pilate uh, decides to let the crowd have their way. And so... Uh, uh, he's going to turn Jesus over to the religious leaders to do what they want to have done with Jesus, which, of course, they've been trying for three years, was to have him killed, to, 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 have him, to get rid of him. And so we finished Luke 23, um, starting in verse 26. It says, As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, helped, uh, happened to be, uh, be coming in from the countryside. And the soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not born, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? In other words, when it's plentiful, what's going to happen when it's scarce? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And the crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And the soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine, which was a painkiller. And they called out to him, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you are the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. 
But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, uh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And the light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words he breathed his last. And when the Roman officer seeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when, and when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on a Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. So if he died at 3 o'clock, our time, he had to be put in the tomb by 6 o'clock because at 6 o'clock on a Friday evening is when the Sabbath begins. And so they had basically a three-hour window to get Jesus off the cross and, and put into that tomb and seal that tomb. Uh, this was done on a late Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then when they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body, but by the time that they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law because it would be considered work to come and put the spices on the dead body. And so they, they, they had to stay at home until the Sabbath was over, which would be Saturday at 6.01. Um, so what I want to do in this podcast today is take a look at the crucifixion. And to do this, I want to read something written by a, a person by the name of Colleen Schreier. And it's called The Science of the Crucifixion. Um, it was originally published in the spring of 2002 issue of uh, APU Life. Um, and the article starts off by describing uh, a little bit about Colleen Schreier. And it says, each year Colleen Schreier, PhD, associate professor in the Department of Biology and Chemistry, presents a special lecture on the science of Christ's crucifixion. She details the physiology process a typical crucified victim underwent and teaches her students to see Christ's death on the cross with new understanding. The exact events in this scenario may not have happened in Jesus' specific case, but the account is based on historical documentation of crucifixion procedures used during that time period. Please be aware that the following is of a realistic and graphic nature. It is important to understand from the beginning that Jesus would have been in excellent physical condition as a carpenter by trade, he participated in physical labor. In addition, he spent much of his ministry traveling on foot across the countryside. His stamina and strength were most likely very well developed. And with that in mind, it is clear just how much he suffered. 
If this torture could break a man in such good shape, it must have been a horrific experience, which is the way I describe it. Matthew 26, 36 through 46, Mark 14, 37 through 42, Luke 22, 39 through 44 are the scripture references that she uses to write this. She says, after the Passover celebration, <clears throat> Jesus takes his disciples to the to Gethsemane to pray. And during his anxious prayer about the events to come, Jesus sweats drops of blood. There is a rare medical condition called hematohydrosis. Hematohydrosis, during which the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands break down. Blood released from the vessels mixes with the sweat, therefore the body sweats drops of blood. This condition results from mental anguish or high anxiety, a state Jesus expresses by praying, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, Matthew 26:38. Hematohydrosis makes the skin tender. So Jesus' physical condition worsens slightly. Then for scriptural references for the next point, she, said, uh, she uses Matthew 26, 67 through 75, Mark 14, 61 through 72, Luke 22, 54 through 23, chapter 23, verses 25, and John 18, verses 16 through 27. She writes, Traveling from Pilate to Herod and back again, Jesus walked approximately two and a half miles. He has not slept, and he has been mocked and beaten, Luke 22:63 through 65. In addition, his skin remains tender from the hematohydrosis. His physical condition worsens. And then she uses scripture references, Matthew 27, verses 26 through 32, Mark chapter 15, verses 15 through 21, Luke chapter 23, verses 25 through 26, and John chapter 19, verses 1 through 28. And she writes, Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged as required by Roman law before crucifixion. Traditionally, the accused stood naked and flogged covered the area uh, from shoulders down to the upper legs. The whip consisted of several strips of leather. In the middle of the strips were metal balls that hit the skin, causing deep bruising. In addition, sheep bone was attached to the tips of each strip. When the bone makes contact with Jesus' skin, it digs into his muscles, tearing out chunks of flesh and exposing the bone beneath. The flogging leaves the skin on Jesus' back in long ribbons. By this point, he has lost a great volume of blood, which causes his blood pressure to fall and puts him into shock. The human body attempts to remedy imbalances such as decreased blood volume so Jesus's thirst is his body's natural response to his suffering John 19:28 that's when he said I, I, I thirst if he would have drank water his blood volume would have increased Roman soldiers place a crown on the thorn of thorns on Jesus's head and a robe on his back Matthew 27 28 29 the robe helps the blood clot similar to putting a piece of tissue on a cut from shaving to prevent Jesus from sustaining more blood loss. As they hit Jesus in the head, Matthew 27, 30, the thorns from the crown push into the skin and he begins bleeding profusely. And if you've ever had a cut on your head, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One time I, I dropped a pole driver on my head and I was pounding a pole in the ground and it was a homemade pole driver and so it had four corners and one of the corners came down to my head and I mean, I just started ble bleeding like crazy and I had to rush myself to the emergency room <laughs> to get some stitches. Uh, so I, I, I couldn't imagine this crown of thorn being shoved 
into Jesus's head and he's already been weakened in his skin already been severely damaged uh, the thorns also cause damage to the nerve that supplies the face causing intense pain down his face and neck and as they mocked him the soldiers also belittled Jesus by spitting on him Matthew 27 30 they ripped the robe off Jesus back and the bleeding starts afresh Jesus's physical condition becomes critical Due to severe blood loss without replacement, Jesus is undoubtedly in shock. As such, he is unable to carry the cross, and Simon of Cyrene executes this task, Matthew 27, 32. So the next scripture references that she uses is Matthew 27, 33 through 56, Mark 15, verses 22 through 41, Luke 23, verses 27 through 49, and John 19, verses 17 through 37. And she writes, Crucifixion was invented by the Persians between 300 B.C. to 400 B.C. It is quite possibly it is quite possibly the most painful death ever invented by humankind. The English language derives the word excruciating from crucifixion, acknowledging it as a form of a slow, painful suffering. Its punishment was reserved for slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, and the vilest of criminals. Victims were nailed to a cross. However, Jesus' cross was probably not the Latin cross, but rather a Tau cross, T-A-U, Tau cross, which was a T. The vertical uh, piece, the stipes, remains in the ground permanently, and the accused carries only the horizontal piece, the patabulum, up the hill. Atop the patabulum lies a sign, the titulus, indicating that a formal trial occurred for a violation of the law. In Jesus' case, this reads, This is the king of the Jews, Luke 23:38. The accused needed to be nailed to the patabulum while lying down, so Jesus is thrown to the ground, reopening his wounds, grinding in the dirt, and causing bleeding. They nail his hands to the patabulum. And the Greek meaning of hands includes the wrist, which is it's more likely that the nails went through Jesus' wrists. If the nails were driven into the hand, the weight of the arms would cause the nails to rip through the soft flesh. Therefore, the upper body would not be held to the cross. If placed in the wrist, the bones in the lower portion of the hand support the weight of the arms, and the body remains nailed to the cross. The huge nail, seven to nine inches long, uh, damages or severs the major nerve to the hand, the median nerve upon impact. This causes continuous agonizing pain of both of Jesus's arms. Once the victim is secured, the guards lift the patabulum and place it on the stipes already in the ground. As it is lifted, Jesus's full weight pulls down on his nailed wrist and his shoulders and elbows dislocate. Psalm 22:14. In this position, Jesus's arms stretched to a minimum of six inches longer than their original length. It is highly likely that Jesus' feet were nailed through the tops as often pictured. In this position, with the knees flexed at approximately 90 degrees, the weight of the body pushes down on the nails and the ankles support the weight. The nails would not rip through the soft tissue as would have occurred with the hands. Again, the nail would cause severe nerve damage it severs the dorsal pedal artery of the foot and acute pain. Normally, to breathe, to breathe in, 
The diaphragm, the large muscle that separates the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity, must move down. This enlarges the chest cavity and air automatically moves into the lungs, which is inhalation. To exhale, the diaphragm rises up, which compresses the air in the lungs and forces the air out, which is exhalation. As Jesus hangs on the cross, the weight of his body pulls down on the diaphragm and the air moves into his lungs and remains there. Jesus must push up on his nailed feet, causing more pain to exhale. In order to speak, air must pass over the vocal cords during exhalation. The Gospels note that Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. It is amazing that despite his pain, he pushes up to say, Forgive them, Luke 23, 34. The difficulty surrounding exhalation leads to a slow form of suffocation. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood, resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood. The body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate available oxygen. The decreased oxygen due to the difficulty in exhaling causes damage to the tissues and the capillaries begin leaking watery fluid from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart, pericardial effusion, and lungs, pleural effusion. The collapsing lungs, failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get sufficient oxygen to the tissues essentially suffocate the victim. The decreased oxygen also damages the heart itself, myocardial infarct, infarct, infarction, infarction, however you say that, which leads to cardiac arrest. In several cases of cardiac stress, the heart can even burst, a process known as cardiac rupture. Jesus most likely died of a heart attack. After Jesus' death, the soldiers break the legs of the two criminals crucified alongside him, causing suffocation. John 19.32 Death would then occur quicker. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. John 19.33 And it's also that's also a, um, an answer to a prophecy. I believe it's in Psalms. Somewhere in Psalms it talks about no bones would be broken. Um Instead, the soldiers pierced his side, John 19.34, to assure that he was dead. In doing this, it is reported that blood and water came out, John 19.34, referring to the watery fluid surrounding the heart and lungs. While these unpleasant facts depict a brutal murder, the depth of Christ's pain emphasizes the true extent of God's love for his creation. Teaching the physiology of Christ's crucifixion is a constant reminder of the magnificent demonstration of God's love for humanity that was expressed that day in Calvary. This lesson enables me to participate in communion, the remembrance of his sacrifice, with a grateful heart. She writes, I am struck every time with the stunning realization that as a flesh and blood human, Jesus felt every ounce of this execution. And then she ends by saying, What greater love than this can a man have for his friends? And we know from the Gospels that Jesus was, was crucified beginning at 9 o'clock that morning. And he did not die until 3 o'clock that afternoon. So for six hours, 
Jesus, this, what I just read to you, how she described the crucifixion, this would go on for six hours. Jesus in so much pain and trying to breathe and, and, would, and having to push up against that wood, uh, which I'm sure was not smooth, with a, a back that has been ripped to shreds, would be in, he would be in so much pain just trying to breathe and, and, and the nails in his feet and the pain in his feet, the pain in his arms as, as he would go back down and just hang there because his body was was free. And so he's hanging by his uh, hands, his wrist, and, and so he's got the weight of his body and he's trying to breathe and, and seven times he finds the strength to, to, to utter some words. and it, it, It's just amazing that, that Jesus would go through such suffering for people who continued to reject him. People who would despise him. You have, you've got people, I mean, he, and, and to top it off, he's out there outside the city gates and he's hanging there naked as a jaybird. And people are walking by. I mean, you talk about humiliation. He's claiming to be God, the Son of God. He's claiming to be the Messiah, and he's allowing this Roman government, these these people, to do these things to him. These these uh, uh, priests, these religious leaders, they're they're allowing him. I mean, he's he's raised the dead. He's he's worked miracle after miracle, but yet he's going to allow these people to to kill him. And that's the way the people are looking at it. They they they're walking by and they're shaking their heads and. And, and they're saying, man, we just thought you were the one. We can't. We, we, we believed in you. We, we, we thought you were, even his disciples, they deserted him. And they, they, they ran off. They, 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 they stood afar off. And, and, and they're thinking, what, what is going on? And that's why we find them locked in a room when Jesus uh, is crucified and put in a tomb because they're afraid they're next because they were with him for three years. And, 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 and they're, everybody's thinking, man, we thought you were, they just didn't understand. They did not understand what God's will truly was. They did not really understand what Jesus' mission truly was. They're, they're thinking that Jesus is going to deliver them from this Roman oppression, and Jesus was there to deliver them from a greater oppression called sin. And he, and he is there to be the atoning sacrifice once and for all. Because uh, the Day of Atonement would come, all through the Old Testament, before Jesus dies on the cross and was resurrected, the Day of Atonement would come. And one time a year, only the high priest could go into, or uh, could go into the holiest of holies in the presence of God, and he had to sacrifice an animal for and cover his sins. And then he could go through that veil, that veil that was talked about, that was ripped from top to bottom in the temple. But once a year, the priest would make a sacrifice, and he would go in before the mercy seat and in the holiest of holies and then he would sprinkle blood of a sacrifice on the mercy seat and 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 it was to make an atonement for the people of israel and their sins and and then he would come out and they would have a goat and it was called the escape goat and he would put he would pronounce the sins of israel on this escape goat and then send it out into the wilderness and and that was signifying the, the the forgiveness of Israel's sins, but Jesus was our Passover Lamb. He was he was the once and for all sacrifice. He is the atonement 
for our sins. We don't have to have a priest to go in and make a sacrifice on our behalf. We don't have to have anybody between us and God because now because of what Jesus has done and that veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, we have direct access to the throne of God. That's what prayer is all about. That's why when we pray, we should, when somebody is leading us in prayer, we should listen and take it serious because they are bringing us before the throne of God. And, and we can do that all because of what Jesus did on the cross. And there is no greater love than what he has shown. And, and, and beloved, no matter what we have done in our lives, nothing can separate us from that love. We can continue to reject Jesus over and over and over again. But he still loves us. It doesn't mean he saves us, but it does mean that he loves us and he is willing to save us if, if, we choose to accept Him as our Lord and Savior. And if you have never done that, if you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, please email me at thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com and, and I will explain to you what any question that you have about it. I will, I will if, if you're not anywhere close to me in, in, in my vicinity where I live, I will uh, find out where you are and I will put you in contact with somebody who can tell you what to do, who can lead you uh, to Christ, but uh, please contact me uh, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Do not, do not take your last breath here on this earth without the blood of Jesus Christ washing away your sins. Because if you do, you'll never have a second chance. God, the the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. It has reconciled us back to God. And if we're not washing that blood, we're not reconciled. We're not friends with God. We're enemies to God. We're walking in darkness. Even though we can't see it, even though we think everything is okay, it's not okay. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you are not okay. You are a, literally, the Bible says, a dead man walking. And so, friend, I plead with you. I mean, this world is crazy and it's getting worse every day. We never know from day to day, when we're going to take our last breath on this earth. And you don't want to take your last breath on this earth without being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to be in eternity, never to have that second opportunity. And you're going to be separated from God for eternity. And it's a place of torment called hell. And you do not want to go there for eternity. Trust me. If you think earth... And life here on this earth is hard. You ain't seen anything yet. If you die and cross over into eternity without the blood of Jesus Christ washing away your sins, it, 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 I can't even fathom how bad it's going to be for you. So please, again, contact me at thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com and let's have a conversation. If you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, by all means, God bless you and keep walking with Christ. But please, produce fruit. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done for you and in your life. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions about the crucifixion of Jesus, if you want to discuss it any further, email me, thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com, and let's talk about it. But you know what's coming next? The best part, the resurrection. God bless you. Keep grinding. 
Thank you for listening to the Grinded Podcast today. May God bless you. If you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.